Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is sponsored by Huawei. Its latest Huawei development webinar will be live streamed on Pocketlint at midday on Monday, the 9th of November. If you're interested in learning more about how overseas app developers can thrive in a Chinese market, mark the date in your calendar. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Lint Podcast. The Xbox Series X and S launches are nearing ever closer, so we thought it'd be a good time to catch up where everything is ahead of the two next-gen consoles going on sale at the start of November. Pocket Rick Henderson is here to discuss everything you need to know to be prepared, including us, wait for it, telling us what's actually in the box, so you can be super ready. And keeping on the gaming thing, I've been talking to app game developers' state of play about the company's latest game, South of the Circle. Available exclusively on Apple Arcade, I talked to the founders of the studio about the trials and tribulations of making the title, and how it even meant having to go to Antarctica as part of the process. And finally, Pocalint's Mike Lowe talks to us about the new Porsche Taycan Turbo S, what it's actually like to sit behind a £150,000 electric sports car and drive off into the sunset. Well, we'll find out in a bit. But back to you, Rick. What's been happening in the worlds of Xbox Series X and S? Well, um, the most exciting part of the news is that I have received both. Um, uh, yeah, early. Uh, I can't actually talk about them being switched on yet, but I can talk about what you get in the box, what they feel like, what they, what um, uh, connections they have, uh, those kind of things, and what the new controller is, looks like, I suppose. I can talk about all those things. Cool. So let's probably start with a simple one. I've got an Xbox One. I'm upgrading. I'm excited. I'm waiting nervously for the postman to arrive. I've got all this time to kill, obviously. What am I going to do in the process between now and then? What can I do to get ready? Um, very, very cleverly and and luckily, uh, there are two things you can do. Um, the Although you do get a power lead and a HDMI cable in with both the Xbox Series S and Xbox Series X, you likely can just use the ones you already have. If you have an Xbox One S or an Xbox One X, all you have to do is kind of unplug the, th- the uh, connections from the back of your current console and just plug in the new console because they are identical leads. Now, the, there's one caveat to that, and that is your HDMI cable. You might be using an older non-high-speed HDMI cable, mm. um, your existing cable. And, of course, the one that comes in with, in the box of both of the new consoles is a an ultra-high-speed cable, a HDMI 2.1 rated cable. Um, and that's important because if you don't have that, then you won't be able to get 120 frames per second gaming. So, um, so do check that you have a, a fairly recent cable. And if you do, then you pretty much don't have to change anything. And in fact, all you end up doing is you've got brand new extra cables. Exciting. Now, you talked about 120 um, 20 hertz there as well. Does that mean I've got to upgrade my TV? Should I go out and buy a brand new TV? 
Um, I, I, it, it's, <laughs> it's contentious, this, because some TVs, while they won't display 4K at 120 hertz, will display 1080p at 10, uh, 120 hertz. That's existing TVs that are already on the market. Now, they're fairly recent TVs. If your TV is about four or five years old, it probably won't work with that. But if it's fairly recent, then it could well do. And the Xbox um, One X will even tell you that it's capable of doing 120 hertz. But the um, if you um, want to check whether your TV is 120 hertz, you really should check with the manufacturer of your television. Um, if it does do 120 hertz, the games won't really be 4K 120 hertz anyway. They'll only be 1080p, so you'll be absolutely fine. There we go. Right. Okay. So next question I have for you is obviously there's a difference between the X and the S in terms of capability and, and all the other stuff. What's the size difference? Am I going to have to go and buy a new like gaming cabinet <laughs> to well, put all yeah. this in? Here's a bit I can actually talk about is that the Xbox Series X is massive and really heavy. Right. Now, it can be laid flat. It can both be stood on its end, which is probably the best scenario because it has a heat sink at the top of the console and, of course, heat rises. So having it at the top of the console makes an awful lot of sense. Of course, if you lie it flat, and it does have rubber feet to be able to do that, it actually, it's not sort of like designed that you can kind of do it. You genuinely can lay it flat in your in your um, AV cabinet. But it uh, then you've got the heat sink on the side. So, of course, it would sh- shove the air out and it's still going to rise. So, so the easiest route for the air is to go out the top. But, of course, if you don't have the space for that, and quite frankly, my wife took one look at it and said, that's not staying there. So, so quite. So it's got to go in a cabinet anyway. Um, but do be aware that um, technically it's it's. I mean, it's really heavy. It's really big. But technically, it's it's shorter. If you lay it on its side, it's shorter than say an Xbox One X. But it is twice the height, if you like. Right. So you do have to have quite a sturdy um, and and big gap on your shelf. So there will be some shelf uh, manoeuvring yes. that you need to get ready for. And the S, what about that? Is that as equally large? And no, heavy? a completely different scenario entirely. Um, it's it's a, a tiny machine. Um, easily Xbox's smallest machine that they've ever produced. Um, it's digital only, so it doesn't have a disk drive, so you don't have to really worry about where you put it. But it has a massive fan on the top again. And in fact, while um, it does have rubber feet on the bottom to allow you to stand it on end, it's probably best used lying flat, a bit like yeah. the old traditional console. And it is it has a really nice footprint. So that one, I would say, um, is great for anybody who wants to hide it away. Of course, the one thing is it's white. So if you have a lot of black equipment in your AV cabinet, uh, and you suddenly chuck in a white console, it will stand out. Well, that's, so that's not too that, bad. You know, that's not too bad. And to be fair, the Xbox One S, for most people, apart from the custom ones, was white as well. So it doesn't really make much difference to that. Now, let's talk about, finally, uh, let's talk about the controller. So you get a controller in the box. It's, we haven't gone full Apple where you get nothing in the box these days. <laughs> no, not quite. Um, you do, and you get a black one with the Xbox One X to suit the console, and you get a white one with the Xbox Series S to suit that console. What I really like about the controller is um, it's very similar to the Xbox One controller. 
there's very very little differences there's one tiny button that allows you to share content more easily um and the d-pad itself as um is slightly redesigned it's got a, a slightly more ergonomic style on the d-pad um but apart from that it's a very similar controller it's so similar in fact that you can buy the controller separately and just use it on your xbox one Right. Now, but the other question I did have with, with the PlayStation 5, we know that the new DualSense controller will only work on PlayStation 5 games and you won't be able to bring your old PlayStation 4 controller to the PlayStation 5 on the brand new games. You'll be able to, I think you can do some... Yeah, you can yeah, play, you, games, you can you? play you PS4 play games, games using it, but you can't. So are you able, if I've got an Xbox One, can I bring those controllers to the Xbox S and still get the same benefits and still play the latest games and all the other stuff? Or is it the same similar situation? 100%. Um, they're backwards and forwards compatible. So, um, you know, in fact, I it will get to a point where you can't even buy the older one Xbox One controllers because the Xbox Series controllers do actually work with everything. They're just now called the Xbox Wireless Controller. But the way that Xbox has also done it is even the first generation Xbox Wireless Controller will work. So if you... Um, I've got a family and you already have a couple of controllers knocking around or even just one controller knocking around and you buy the Xbox Series S, for example, then you can just take that controller, hook it up to your Xbox Series S and suddenly you've got two controllers. Okay, now one final, final, final question is, do we is everything now announced that we know that's going to be announced or do we have stuff still to come that might change all of this? Well, interestingly, as as we uh, know about these sort of things, that uh, there's likely to be a big day one patch, and so what I would say is that if you are buying it as a a present for anyone, um, you might want to get it out of the box and um, download all the updates and all the patches and everything first before you then um, give it as a present otherwise obviously that that process you have to plug it in and then you have to wait the half an hour to an hour to update it all. come back come back three days time and it'll be ready yeah, to yeah it depends on your internet bandwidth actually the one thing that xbox has promised that these things are a lot quicker to download these days still to come mike gives us his verdict on the porsche taycan turbo s electric car they've got the know-how so perhaps it isn't a surprise but it's just this kind of totally out there car all electric car that doesn't really have anything comparable out at the moment um, in terms of price but in terms of just how it is on the road really so it's very exciting state of play has been making games for a number of years and already has a number of award-winning titles under its belt including bafta winning lumino city inks and kami 2. now the team is back with a new game set in antarctica and exclusive to apple arcade South of the Circle is about memory, survival, and the consequences of not dealing with the past, according to the blurb. But what was the inspiration for making it in the first place? And how do you go about developing games in a world that is still very much about freemium? I spoke to Luke Whitaker, creative director and co-founder, Catherine Bidwell, designer and co-founder, and John Lau, the game's creative producer, started by asking the three of them how they came up with the idea for South of the Circle in the first place. Well, that goes back about seven years, probably. Uh, was, uh, it was initially a book. It was uh, a book by Michael Chabon called The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Um, and it's set in, in the 1930s, 1940s. Um, and yeah, there's a bit in it where the, uh, 
a Jew tra travels to Antarctica. Uh, he's been uh, forced out of uh, Poland, I think. And yeah, they he's in Antarctica and comes across a German scientist. And there's this moment where there's a standoff that happens in Antarctica. Um, and that was the spark of something where I was like, that's really mm. interesting. It, it formed questions in my mind about what happens to people when context is removed and, you know, who are we without the structures that are around us? Um, and it took a few years, really, before we could actually address this in a game. Yeah. I started doing a, a small, like, uh, narrative adventure, just text adventure, just to, just to play with the idea. Um, and then really thought, right, this is the time to do it. Um, and initially it was set in the 1930s um, and the earlier year time is sort of the pioneer time uh, in right. Antarctica. But um, it was just a happy accident. Yeah. Do you want to take So, yeah, my friend, um, my school friend, her father was head of British Antarctic Survey when cool. we were growing up sort of in the 1980s and 90s. And um, and anyway, well, I must have been chatting to her about this idea of a game set in Antarctica. And, and she actually said that actually the 1960s is when John Dudney first went out there, her father, um, was actually really um, pioneering. There was no technology there. Like there was more technology going to the moon in the 1960s than there was in the Antarctica. And we just thought wow, what an interesting time. And and he went out there as head of this um, team. And, you know, he was in, only in his early 20s and he was really like fish out of water. And and we then interviewed him and the stories he told formed the basis of this kind of story in South of the Circle. Yeah, I mean, he, we did lots of interviews with him and came back with so many interesting stories. Like the technology they were using, like Kat says, was... It, it was ancient for the time that they were using Morse code to try and get messages out about the, the white blood cell count of a, of a guy who was ill, that kind of thing. Wow. And then, and they were using world war one hunting rifles. And so the technology was there. They, they just didn't have it. So it's this interesting, uh, almost like alternate reality that was happening down there. And, and, we'll take, and so I suppose you then take, I suppose you then take that kind of concept and that idea and then, John, is, from your side, is, is it your job, or is this across the three of you, to then try and translate that into something that's playable on a phone <laughs> in, in, in 2020? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it's kind of the job of a producer to um, kind of make sure that the vision um, uh, is like expressed to the best of the team's ability. Um, and when I come, came on board, um, and Luca, Luca and I were talking about the story. Um, I think you know a lot of the design at that point uh, of the game um, had kind of been roughed out. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think my involvement in the game was really to just kind of um, make sure that that um, actually ended up being expressed properly um, in a concrete way. Um, and then, boom, here we go. It's on a phone. And so, and, and is that kind of the way that you've approached all your games? I mean, I know you had huge success from awards and stuff with Lumio City. You've obviously got Kami 2, which is, you know, a really lovely game to play. Is it? Is it? how do you go about making these games? Because, you know, having an idea is one thing and then actually putting that idea into practice and making it playable and enjoyable and, you know, rewarding is, is another thing. So is there a, a process that you have to to do on that? 
our process is to give things the space that they need, I think, which is one reason why it takes years. <laughs> so um, and we, we have a mix of the type of games that we've made because that's helped make the big things like this. So Lunar City took three years, this has taken four. And it was, I mean, the smaller, I wouldn't, smaller, I'd not to denigrate them, but like Kami and Inks were more manageable um, projects um, and helped create these. They were, they actually funded uh, a lot of the work because uh, we tried to stay independent and self-funded as much as possible. So that's, that's mm-hmm. another thing. Um, maintaining the creative control over it is uh, is key, um, and yeah, that and to let it uh, let it breathe. I think if we'd have forced this through in two years or, or less, it would have been a very different game. Mm-hmm. And even like, <laughs> it, <definitely> would. <laughs> it would. What would it have been? It would have been a script, Joe. <laughs> well, you know, with the, with this game, you know, one of the you know, we went to Antarctica to re- research it. And I know, I think what's, what's similar with State of Play Games is, you know, we always have this authenticity that we're always trying to, like, create. And that's, like, the truth of the game. And kind of that's always what we want to... And we want the player to feel that. And I think that's what the, some of the lovely comments we get about Lumino City, you know, that they really, like, connected with what we wanted to tell. So mm. we've really approached that in the same way with South of the Circle. And yeah, I guess an ethos is to stay as hands-on as possible. Yeah. And it shows then in the work. You know, I think there's a case with many games where they get polished by a big team to, you know, beyond, not beyond recognition, but beyond, to the state where you can't really see any any one kind of thread or one kind of um, right solution one person's vision or not one person we work as a team but you can't see the creator in there yeah i i i completely yeah i I just kind of want to like add on that because um it's something that um we've been thinking about a a lot like as as the game kind of comes together because obviously this is such a radical departure um seemingly from the rest of state of play's catalog and um but the the thread that runs through it is that You've got that humanity, and you've got the sign of the, you know, the human being or beings that are behind, um, uh, you know, the, the images that you're seeing on screen. So, you know, in Luminosity uh, or Kami, you've got that kind of grain, and you've got that handmade aesthetic. And and here, of course, that's not necessarily you can't. It's harder to make a, a handmade um, Antarctica, but you do have this screen printing aesthetic, and you do have these very naturalistic performances from these actors uh, because of the way we were we were capturing them. And that, and that was one of the questions I had is that sense of Lumino City was, you know, famously, as you know yourselves, because you did it, but it was all done with 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 cutouts and, and physical media, so to speak. Inks and, and Kami 2 is, are very different from from that. Again, is there a is there a process that, that does it just automatically create itself to say this is the style that you need to take? Or in that process, do you think, OK, I want to try this this time? Do you know what I mean? Is there is there a reason that it looks the way that it does and you haven't just gone, let's just make cutouts again and we'll just make it with <laughs> sugar instead of, you know, because we'll just have lots of sugar and that'll be the snow and it'll be great. I, th- I think the thing is, you know, the kind of easy project to make possibly would be Luminosity 2. But we I think the thing that runs through State of Play is that we always want to push ourselves to the edge of what we're able to create. And, you know, we've woken up every day on this project and we are learning 
on our feet you know we've never worked with motion capture before we've never worked with actors it's a whole new environment for us but at the same time that's the thing that really excites us so um and that was the same with Lumino City we were doing things we'd never done before um and working with people we'd never you know worked work with before and you know I think south of the circle it, it's it's a mixture of everything and a mixture of what we get excited about hmm. and I don't think we ever approach things with like we're going to make this kind of game and we'll put this style on it no I think not at all they all grow together so you know when we were working on the script for this we were you know I was also doing concept art and they all just mm. kind of fed into one another um because this uh, we've got a, a way of interacting with objects in this game that is yeah, kind of new that it is a nice way to actually pick up an object in a scene without it just like splatting text on the on the screen about what it's about um but that then influenced the kind of script that could be written on yeah. these things and yeah so it all happens at once yeah and and like the trip to antarctica i mean we've all got an idea of what antarctica looks like but in terms of state of play, we wanted to make sure we were as authentic as we could be. And, you know, there's one scene set in a crater, volcanic mm. crater. And that was, you know, we discovered that because of going to Antarctica and seeing it. And we did, uh, you know, screen printing on the boat when we were out there and sound recordings to just get, ex you know, we, want we wanted to really get the time and place mm. in this game. And we really have drawn on that experience. We weren't mm. sure what it would be like. Like, you never know. I mean, it's, you know, it is like going to another planet. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, we weren't sure how much value it could add to the project. We were like, well, you know, we could look at photos on Google. Yeah, it's just not very state of play to do that. Mm. So, yeah. And it's, it's been really helpful for me. Like, I've been when I've been putting steam rising off the inside of a volcanic crater, and because I've been there, I can kind of, I can know whether that feels right. Uh, it's it's made the design more than just a surface thing. Now, one of the things about this game is it's exclusive to uh, Apple's arcade, uh, Apple Arcade, and therefore iOS, macOS, and tvOS. What's the decision behind that? Well, we've always enjoyed designing for mobile um, we like to bring our games to as many people as possible um, and we don't tend to we don't focus group for any any one particular group mobile brings it to a, a massive audience um, and we've always had good success with apple so this bringing it to apple arcade has enabled us to remain like creative creatively independent um, obviously in collaboration with them um, but yeah that's they're the main yeah. reasons. And there's a real intimacy with this game. You know, the way you interact with the characters, um, it really lends itself to a touch device. And, you know, we felt people consume media now on lots of different um, ways. And, you know, to have that kind of, um, kind of discussion with the game in a, quite an intimate place was really important. Yeah. I mean, John, do you have something to add about this like because it's uh, this is quite a new form of drama i think for a mobile device uh, yeah well so i mean <clears throat> i think that um what's interesting about um the way people are using mobile devices now um is and we're especially seeing that during a pandemic right when people aren't necessarily on their commutes yeah. a lot of the time um is that they're not necessarily engaging with their phones 
um, obviously at a bus stop, but they are um, kind of splitting up their their days or like split finding small moments, right, where you can quickly boot up a, a, a game or like open an app or something and just have a little time. So <clears throat> I think it's it's interesting to see that um, drama can be. Um, it's interesting to be able to experience drama in those small moments where it's like, here's a 10 minute chunk when you're not, um, when you're waiting for the pasta to boil, um, rather than, um, okay, I've got to sit down and this has to be a real sense of occasion when I'm, you know, trying to recreate a movie theater experience. Like that's not necessarily, um, the only way that you can experience drama. And I think this is, this, it would be really interesting to see how, um, people respond to, you know, human drama on, in a medium like this. And do you feel that because of the freedom of, of Apple Arcade, i.e. the users are subscribing to the service, there's no ads, there's no kind of sense of, you know, a lot of the games that we're seeing being successful in, in the service aren't the, you know, uh, the freemium kind of approach where you've got to gain enough gems to buy a, an axe right. to then buy a whatever and et cetera. It allows you more freedom in, in the story that you want to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And I mean, that's never really been the state of play's ethos in kind of how we make games anyway. And just this kind of, hey, forget about the ads, forget about the collecting gems and just sit back and enjoy this in a way you sit back and watch The Crown when it comes on Netflix. You know, it's it's just, it's, it's that kind of consumption that we want. Um, we want the player to have a natural flow through this game and just be sucked into the atmosphere and environment we've created because that's that's how we've been playing it ourselves yeah so, i mean i really think there's a demand out there as well i i do think oh. like the people like people are getting bored of the same old thing because the the creative opportunities on mobile have been dictated by the market really and by a race to the bottom of the you know everything's gone freemium and Sure. the way that you interact with games there's so many different forms of creativity so many different ways you could interact and tell stories mm. uh, play games and yeah i mean we we feel very lucky that we've been able to make this game yeah i think it's interesting um because you know the the content of any medium is naturally going to be determined by the way in which that medium is monetized right like sitcoms the reason sitcoms um are like short bursts of um, entertainment where none of the characters really learn anything and nothing ever changes is because they have to um, they have to kind of be almost infinite you have you, what, what you want in a sitcom is to drive like ratings so you can sell advertising on a particular channel and um, so like what you want is this resource where like the characters are kind of always the same but getting into zany scrapes and stuff like that and I think um, so so that's why that's why sitcoms have the the format that they do so I kind of I'm interested to see like you know how that plays out based on a subscription model um you know you see what you see in netflix is um you know you uh, what's important is that you have compulsion you get this com this compulsion to keep on binging right and so like that's why everything kind of ends on a cliffhanger and all that kind of stuff but i don't know because this is quite unprecedented on a subscription service like apple arcade but it's also story like we're kind of there's there's no real we're not really feeling that necessity so much like with this particular story and like you say it's a, it has allowed us a certain kind of creative freedom because there is no precedent and i think that's that's something that we found you know was was quite freeing and it allowed us to um to tell a story that that is as long as it needs to be 
When anyone says Porsche, it's hard not to conjure up visions of an iconic 911 skirting along a highway with a palm tree backdrop at sundown. Until now, though, there's been one big stumbling block. That vision involved petrol. But guess what? That's changed. Porsche has embraced electric and created a fully electric version for you to enjoy and drive. Mike's been doing just that. He's been driving the, wait for it, £150,000 sports car to find out what it's like and whether, regardless of the budget, it's the new electric car to dream about. So, Mike, come on, put us out of a misery. Was it good? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> no, it's amazing. It's definitely, um, it feels like one of those real breakthrough moments because someone or a company had to get there first. And um, I guess unexpectedly it was Porsche or Porsche, just depending on how you like to say the name properly or not. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, you know, they've got a great um, sporting heritage and they've got the know-how so perhaps it isn't a surprise but it's just this kind of totally out there car all electric car that doesn't really have anything comparable out at the moment um in terms of price but in terms of just how it is on the road really so it's very exciting okay so a couple of questions firstly i presume that the acceleration is just unbelievable it's super quick, yeah. I mean, so I was in the, the Turbo S. There are various versions of the car. It starts at the, the 4S and then uh, jumps up a notch to the Turbo. And then the Turbo S is like the super, super speedy one. Um, so 0-62 is 2.8 seconds, um, which you might kind of go, but doesn't Tesla also offer that? And the answer is yes. We're kind of reaching the pinnacle of like the, the quickest you can kind of go from how fast you can teleport from one position yeah. to another. I mean, it's, it's nuts. It feels properly like roller coaster pit of your stomach kind of crazy. Um, but it just handles that in such a composed way. And I think that's the thing about this car that's almost like mind boggling is it's so insane and so like powerful and out there and, and just kind of, can chuck you around if you if you drive it that way but also it's just so composed like it feels very smooth you kind of just you can be going along at 70 miles an hour it feels like you're doing 15 in a car park it's just unbelievably smooth and yet incredibly powerful now the next question i have is the majority of porsches if you've driven a porsche and you know about these things is kind of it's all in the back and therefore you've got that sort of reliance if you got used to driving them of 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 all the weights in the back of the car and all the other stuff. What happened? Where does, with no massive engine block, mm-hmm. where, where does, is that weight? Have they kind of tried to trick you in that way, in that feeling of the same drive? Is it a similar drive experience or do you have to completely start from scratch? It's really heavy because they have to put so much battery to enable enough range. Um, I think it's two tons. So it's, it's a really, really heavy car but really doesn't feel like one. So it's kind of, it's just that engineering kind of marvel that's made them somehow make you not really realize that you're knocking about that much weight. So it it certainly would feel different. And it's all electric too. So you lose the noise, you know, like a a real uh, sort of purist enthusiast about where's the sound? Because ultimately you get a little hum, you know, that's, Mm. that's all it is. So it's, it's kind of, you have to embrace what it is. um, And it is a totally different experience because, there's no way around that. Now, most people, £150,000 will be out of their their price range. Do you, Is there a premium that's being put on because it's Porsche or 
do you think it, you can see where the money's gone into it? Um, so, I mean, 150 is like everything on, everything's in there. If you if you wind back in the range, you could start the, the Taycan 4S, which is still a uh, not cheap 83 and a half. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot in the range. You're You're paying certainly for a badge because you always would, but also I can't even fathom how much money would have gone in to, to the development of this car. I'm sure it's an awful lot. Um, will it come down over time? Probably not, because realistically, has any Porsche ever? Not really. It's it's always been about, you know, the aspirational part of it, I think. But, I mean, at 83, I know we're, we're talking, like, just <laughs> if you say it quickly, it doesn't doesn't matter. Um, that still puts it, that puts it in Model S, Tesla Model S range, doesn't yeah. it? So it's not... It's not crazily expensive compared to to what else is at the top of the top of the pile for electric cars. And we know from previous years that electric cars, previous models, that electric cars do carry a premium because the batteries are, are so expensive. Yeah, and you know the batteries are kind of hard to obtain and produce and and so on. So you're you're gonna always well at the moment you're gonna always pay a lot. I think what Porsche is doing is, is selling one thing, whereas other companies like Tesla are doing a really interesting approach to kind of bringing that that price down to make it electric is the future you all should have this so really what what you're looking at with with a Taycan is the the kind of pinnacle point of what electric could offer you um and, and I think that's really like I say it's that kind of really aspirational thing and just to be in one and to drive one yeah it felt different to being in like a 911 or whatever but it, it just had this sort of real new excitement about it and as far as uh... You know, we're talking about the future, we're talking about cool things, all the other stuff, that's great. Was there anything that you just thought, really, at that price, I'm getting this? Um, you know, what didn't you like? I mean, if you if you look at it, it, it looks a little bit sad. It's almost got little sad eyes. Um, the design is kind of, it's going to split opinion because this is, you know, a, a car company that has a lot of people who are behind it. There's a lot of... Uh, a lot of fans, right? And you kind of expect a certain look or a certain way. And this kind of tears the rule book up a little bit. It changes things. Um, obviously, the expense, like everything is an add-on. So you're kind of paying for kind of any additional aspect. I think they even charge for like the top-end charging cable costs you, you know, hundreds of pounds more. So wow. Every little bit costs you money. Um, but you kind of expect it, to be honest. Um Otherwise, I guess you know the range. It can it can scrape about two hundred miles. Um, not bad at all, but I kind of wonder if they could uh, put some more kind of eco modes in there to squeeze a bit extra out. But then I guess it would be heavier and therefore wouldn't feel the same. So it's always a compromise. But also, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I know people do it all the time, but two hundred miles in a Porsche. That's quite a long way to go before you need to stop. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we, you know, we talk about a lot with range anxiety and stuff. Is you know how f- we all want these big numbers, but then at the same time realize that actually, when it comes to day to day driving, you just don't drive those those numbers. No, I guess not. It's partly that you know battery degradation over time might bring that down a bit, and because this is so capable, if you're kind of putting your foot down. I can't imagine the range of anywhere near that. So No, no. It's, put it on the motorway, you'll probably just watch it drain, won't you? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it, it was it was a bit below its claimed range in what I managed to pull out of it. Um, so, no, I didn't have the anxiety because it's certainly not a bad range by any means. Um, but I just wonder over the course of time how that will 
change in whether, you know, in three years, if 200 is actually more like, you know, 140 or something, uh, just because of the way batteries function over time. Now, I'd love to think that all the listeners of the Pocalimp podcast would be able to <laughs> run out tomorrow and buy one of these. Uh, probably the likelihood is, is that most of us wouldn't be able to afford something like this. But bear that in mind, is this something that is worth dreaming about? Oh, definitely. Like, you've always got to have those dreams, right? And uh, give it five years. I think many more electric cars will be on the road and most of them won't be this. But that's kind of cool because it gives it that that whole standout point, doesn't it? It, it sets it apart and uh, you can keep that kind of aspiration to have one, perhaps. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. This podcast is sponsored by Huawei. Its latest Huawei development webinar will be live streamed on Pocketlint at midday on Monday, the 9th of November. If you're interested in learning more about how overseas app developers can thrive in a Chinese market, mark the date in your calendar.